Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Unbelievable. Ben Standick, Britt Giroli here. We are with The Athletic, but most importantly, we're with you tonight, 6.30-9, here on 106.7 The Fan. Britt. I made it back from Vegas. There were questions. I think the bet, the odds were against me, uh, according to various people I know. But I did make it back. The Washington football team made it back with a fourth straight win. I think one of those things is more surprising than the other. I'm happy to hear to discuss all that and more with you once again. How are you? I'm good. I would call that victory snatched from the jaws of defeat. Because, I mean, let's be honest, it should have been a pick six. They should have lost that game. But that is what, dare I say, good teams do is they find a little bit of luck. And I feel like that's what happened to the Washington football team because it wasn't a pretty game by any means. And I know you were probably nursing a hangover from the strip the night before. So I don't know whether you feel like it was an ugly game or just a game through those blurry, hazened eyes. But You know what? I was a responsible young man. Let's let's get that on the record in case any of my bosses are listening. Uh, I was responsible for the most part. And uh but you're not wrong. It was a, it was an ugly kind of a game. Look, th- th- when you when there's a defense first kind of a game, it tends to be that way, right? And Washington's defense, once again, I mean the Raiders were among the league leaders in various um, uh, big play categories in terms of their offense and, and and things like that with Derek Carr and Washington really kept them in check for the most part. Uh, they only took the lead at the end or near the end because of the Taylor Heineke interception, you know, and then they kind of went from from there. But when you have a defensive uh, first game, it does tend to get things ugly. But to your larger point, they just found a way to win, and that's what they've been doing. It's it's a lot of random pieces somehow working together, and, and that is working for Washington right now. Yeah, and now we have Dallas week, which is usually historically a big deal, though obviously there hasn't been much in Washington that's been a big deal football-wise for many years. Um, it's going to be a huge game. Is the stadium going to be even close to sold out? We're going to get into that. If you are going to be there, if you plan to be there, if you don't plan to be there, uh, let us know. We're going to take your calls all night, 800-636-1067. We're also going to talk NFL with Mike Sando of The Athletic at 7. 8 o'clock, we got Josh Robbins to tell us what is going on with this Wizards team. They've lost three straight. Defense has really just been backsliding. There's no way around it. Not a lot of good stuff going on there. But when you look at this football team, Ben, do you still think this is a big matchup do people still get into Dallas week here because I have a friend in Dallas a big Cowboys fan and he's like this is another week for us everyone in DC is all like Dallas week Dallas week and the Cowboys are like oh cool what week is this again in mid-December just another date on the calendar look it is no it's impossible to explain how big of a deal it was back in the day when I was a young lad and had my um 
my, my birthday, as we discussed the last time we were here, it was literally on my birthday. Uh, Washington, Dallas is always a Thanksgiving sort of tradition. And on my birthday cake that year, when I turned 13, it was it, it was a beat Washington beat Dallas and it had the, the various, you know, arrows and the Cowboys and all that stuff. And it was it was like an, it was an expectation that you would have something like that. I don't know if that's the same kind of a deal anymore, meaning like I don't know if people are that that engaged with it. But that said, Washington has done everything they possibly could to put themselves back in this position where this game matters, where these last five games matters, all against division opponents with with the division now on the line. If they beat Dallas, they're only one game out of the NFC East. Uh, obviously, they're already in the wild card mix right now, so it's a pretty wild circumstance. I don't know if people care. I think that's part of what is interesting, though, to see will this stadium be not just filled, but will there be passion? Yeah, Dallas fans might show up. What about the Washington fans? I think that's what I'm really intrigued by this week. Right. That, that's important to know. Is it going to be a Dallas takeover, right? Is it going to be a Cowboys home game that happens to be at FedEx Field? Because the crowd they showed the last time they played a home game was embarrassing. The, the, I, I don't know why they even show the crowds when they're that low. It's kind of like, reminds me of Camden Yards this year when there's 5,000 people in the stands and it just Ugh. looks like a practice squad game. Um, and this is your product. I mean, this is a game that a lot of people are going to watch. And it's important for FedEx Field to look like a destination, look like fun, look like their fans are behind them. And I just don't know if that's going to be the case. Our colleague David Aldridge was on earlier with Grant and Danny, did a great job breaking down the terrific column that he had today. We'll get into it a little bit later. But, you know, he had a great phrase, I thought. He said, you can't expect them to come after two decades of neglect, which is exactly what this is. A hundred percent. I mean, that's, you know, that's the thing that is frustrating, and we don't need to dwell on it too much here because this should be a fun time. People should be excited. We need to focus on the football. But you, you mentioned, you know, I may or may not have had a hangover at that game. Well, there's a definitive hangover in this town when it comes to the antics that go on off the field regarding ownership and everything else that happens here. And that's why it limits the ceiling, it always feels like, with what this team can accomplish. Now, that has nothing to do with what Ron Rivera and the players are going to do on Sunday. And they obviously look, they're on a good run, four in a row. By hook or by crook, they're getting it done, and that is all That is all great. But when we talk about the fan interest, it is hard to see, like, hey, I get it. You guys have done well. Guess what? You also did well in 2012 when you had the good run of the RG3. How did things go from there? 2015, Kirk Cousins takes over. You win the division. He, he's gone in a couple of years, had that go, so on and so on. And that's just just, that's just relatively recent history. It doesn't even get into the, the first decade under Dan Snyder. And that is part of the equation here in terms of fans – spending their money, but they also, in, in their hearts, they want to cheer for this team, and this is the opportunity to do it. Four in a row, they're, they're, they're hot. It's Dallas with a chance to get closer to the division. There's not much more you can ask for at this point. Right, and they'd hold a tiebreaker, right? They, 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 they have one more game the day after Christmas. They would play again. But, yeah, they would have that, at, They would at least in the moment, have that up on Dallas for sure. Right. I mean, let, let's go to the phone lines. Let's see what people think. Again, 800-636-1067. We've got Evan in Kensington and wants to talk about how this is always the biggest rivalry in the NFC. Evan, you're on with Ben and Britt. How are you? I'm fine. How are you both? We're doing great. So uh, what makes you say this is always the best rivalry? 
I mean, other than being a homer, I think it's one that everybody looks forward to as a Washingtonian. Any Cowboys fan that is saying it's just another week is trying to persuade themselves it's just another week. I know they look at their calendar like that, but I would say it's just a a big rivalry for us in the area. I don't know if we have a huge rivalry outside of maybe Caps-Penguins that's as big, Um, and I'm looking forward to to tearing them apart uh, and playing Ron Rivera football on Sunday. I mean, look, at a minimum, and thank you for the call, Evan. At a minimum, if you beat Dallas, maybe it does kick this, make the start bringing the intensity out a, a bit more. I mean, look, this is a huge rivalry, but it's just you know it's different when you when, when there's nothing at stake. It is a little gets a little bit harder to just say, well, we hate that guy, we hate them in return, and so on. And by the way, no offense to your friend, Dallas fans, not all of them, many of the ones I've met over the years, relatively insane. Yeah, relatively insane. I mean, you do root for Jerry Jones team so that right there kind of tells you you're insane but here's the thing I think that they have a chance I mean Dallas at the beginning of the season just destroying people playing explosive Dallas as of late looks like a much more beatable team and when you look at the way Washington's winning these games Ben I mean they rely on time management you know having the ball as much as possible having the possession uh, playing the run game and then using Heineke when they need him and Dallas is very pedestrian middle of the pack in terms of stopping the run game. So this isn't a bad matchup on paper at all. I mean, we'll get into this more later, but there is a route that you see for this team to come away with this game. Is there not? Absolutely. I mean, for, look, at a very basic level, we've talked about this now when we've been on this show. I've talked about it on my podcast or you know, whoever else wants to listen to me yodel about this. The, the bottom line is Washington is playing at a high level in terms of focus and intensity. And ultimately, when you just show up and you're the team that wants it more, that counts a lot. We can get into the X's and O's and more of that in a bit. But right now, Washington's playing with a lot of momentum. They're, they're, they're in a good space. And Dallas has been struggling a bit. So we'll have to see how that goes. But we've got plenty more to discuss here. Okay, are we officially the Killer Bees? Is that what we're calling ourselves? That's absolutely what we're calling ourselves. Uh, I don't know why you'd go for a, a subpar name. No, of course not. All right, so the Killer Bees, we're on till 9 o'clock. We'll be talking uh, Wizards. We'll be talking more NFL. We'll do that and more here on 106.7 The Fan. Welcome back. Killer Bees, Britcher Rowley, Ben Standing here with you on Overtime 106.7. We are here until 9. Talking about the Washington football team. Talking about whether anyone's going to actually go to this game and watch the big showdown with Dallas. Dallas week here. Struggling Wizards. We're going to talk about Wizards in the 8 o'clock hour with Josh Robbins of The Athletic. Also going to hit a little NFL with Mike Sando, also of The Athletic at 7 o'clock. But first, we keep asking you guys, what do you think about this team, where is this team headed? So, Ben, let's go to the phone lines because we have Tim from Connecticut. Tim, I appreciate this 203 area code. <laughs> I am from Connecticut as well. I have a 203 area code. This is single-handedly why I picked you on this board, Tim. Don't disappoint. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear that. 
Uh, I'm from uh, Fairfield County, but I love all the state. Um, and we have as our representative uh, Shaggy used to play for the Skins, uh, Washington. Excellent. So um, what, what's going on, Tim? Yeah. You got some questions here, some updates you want to know? Yeah, I wanted to ask Ben and you uh, if you had any updates on the Kizik Schweitzer or uh, Ricky Seals Jones for the Dallas game. Yeah, I mean the the good questions and, and the, those are among the you know injuries depth chart. It's all important at this time of year. Now, Ron Rivera uh, is not a big fan of giving us too much information, and he doesn't technically have to on those types of things until they start practicing for real, which is Wednesday. So we'll get that tomorrow. W- one thing anecdotally, to, I would note is that uh, the the team every week they they protect upwards of four players off the practice squad so other teams can't claim them and so on. Last week, I believe one of those players was Wendell Smallwood, which is an indication that perhaps McKissick wouldn't play with the concussion. Ultimately, that did play out that way, and Smallwood was elevated to the roster and played. He was not protected today. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that McKissick is out of the woods, but at least shows some level of indication, perhaps, that Washington thinks that McKissick has a chance to play. Uh, so I think that's something to keep, to keep an eye on for sure. My sense was Seals-Jones was close this past game with the hip injury. Schweitzer basically didn't practice all week, so we'll have to see about him. But they're going to need Ricky Seals-Jones now that Logan Thomas is out, if not for the year, most likely out for the year. And we were talking about this little off-air, but Montez Sweat could return, and you'll know a lot more about that tomorrow as well, right? On that one, Rivera, because I had reported something about this yesterday, and then Rivera was asked about it, and he said, expectation is Sweat will be practicing Wednesday. Now, that doesn't mean he will play this week. Once he starts to practice, they have 21 days to elevate him off the injured reserve, or he's out for the year. Uh, he had a jaw injury, right? So he's been, I don't know what he's been eating for the last month. I mean, Frosties, Dairy Queen. <laughs> I mean, right. so did you ever I, have your wisdom teeth pulled? It's great. Uh, it, it can be great unless you're an NFL lineman and you need to keep up your weight during the season. So I don't know where he's going to be at physically. Then there's always the conditioning issues as well. I mean, he's obviously a, a great athlete, but you know, if you're not on the field for a month, that could be an issue. But good news is, he is, it appears, getting close to coming back, and that will be a big help for this defense that has clearly gotten by without him and Chase Young, but at the same point could really use that pass rush help. Yeah, this defense has somehow gotten better, and I don't know if they've just acclimated more to what Ron Rivera's trying to do because we know they're missing two huge pieces in Chase Young and Montez Sweat. And you kind of are like, well, how would this defense do a full throttle? I mean, it could be downright scary, right? I mean, we know the quarterback situation is what it is. You're not going to win too many games playing the way Heineke played uh, in Las Vegas this weekend. But you also can't expect too high of a ceiling, right? It, it's just a very tight wire with him. You're not sure what you're going to get. But if this defense can improve and get those guys back, then, then, then maybe you're closing the gap here a little bit, right? Because, I mean, they might be able to get away with the way they've been winning games against certain teams. But say they play Philadelphia, who's excellent at stopping the run game. They're going to have to do something else different. They're going to have to be better in other categories. And I just don't know if offensively they can rely on the quarterback, a guy like Heineke to all of a sudden just be this crazy gunslinger. Yeah. I mean, to your point about the defense and whether how they're doing this without those guys, it look, maybe this falls under the category of addition by subtraction in that they're better off with Chase Young and Montez Sweat playing. However, we heard Ron Rivera talk over and over and over again about the, the lack of maturity and discipline on this team. And I've said that before here and elsewhere. He basically was talking about Chase Young, whether he was you know, whether he wanted to say that directly or not. In that Chase Young was and, and Montez Sweat to a degree as well, where they were relying on their natural talents as opposed to sort of following the game plan. That they weren't having 
coordinated pass rushes. Multiple guys would be in the same spot, not being completely engaged on every single play, whatever have you. But with those guys out and and these the uh, backups had to come in, guys who don't have that ability, they really have to focus. Okay, what does Jack Del Rio want me to do? I'm going to do that to the best of my ability and so on and so on. So I think this defense has had to figure out how to just focus on what it needs to do, and they're doing a better job of that collectively. It's not just about Chase Young and Sweat. They made some changes in the in the secondary as well. But uh, they are learning that. So now with Montez Sweat coming back here at some point, taking his ferocious pass rush ability to a group that does seem to be more centered and focused, that it, that could be a pretty interesting dynamic for, for sure. And it'll be, it'll be needed for sure. And to your point, uh, if, if you're going to have to be a defense sort of first team, which is kind of what we thought was going to be this year anyway, you're going to need more of that as Taylor Heineke deals with some of the ups and downs that we've seen from him. Right, which Taylor Heineke are we going to see against Dallas, right? No one really knows yet. He's had some really good games like against Tampa, and then he's had mediocre games. And is there going to be a big crowd? That's going to be one of the the big stories here. We asked you guys uh, to let us know if you're going to the game, if you're supporting this team, if you'd rather watch at home, 800-636-1067. Let's go to Carlos in Severna Park. Who, Carlos? You're going. You're gonna going to this game. Yeah, I'm actually one of the blessed ones. My neighbor is actually taking me because he's a season ticket holder. I'm actually three for three in home victory wins this season against the Giants, against Tampa, and against uh, uh, Seattle. So I cannot stop going. I have to. <laughs> it is my it is my duty to keep going. And uh, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to check out the USO tent because I'm a Navy veteran. Uh, I know they always, uh, you know, show the love out there with complimentary food and drinks. And I'm going to give them my all as a fan. Thanks for taking my call, guys. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for calling in. Thanks for your service. Uh, well, Ben, you know, I think I've heard a lot of people talk about how it's not a great experience at FedEx Field. I've been a few times as a football fan. It's not my favorite experience in the NFL you go there as your job. I'm sure you've attended on the other side as well. Mm-hmm. But you've been to a lot of stadiums, a lot of NFL stadiums. So forget the fact that this team has not been good for a while and they've alienated their fans. Is it also the experience as well that you think is kind of driving people away and being like, well, I could spend a couple hundred dollars on a ticket and have to deal with the traffic and have to deal with all of this and then not have a great experience, or I could watch on my huge flat screen in my living room. What's the there's a uh, baseball stat everybody uses a uh, replacement level? What uh, I'm blanking here. War. What, yeah, war. Yes, wins above replacement. Yeah, wins above replacement. FedEx Field is the wins above replacement team. They're the they're the they're the backup, right? So like the, I just was at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. If that was the starter, FedEx Field is the replacement. It's fine, but you're going for more than fine when you're spending the kind of money that you're spending. On top of the fact that the team hasn't been doing that great, you want more. There's the, the amenities are lacking. The parking stinks. Um, it's just semi-generic. I mean, to be honest, I kind of feel like Nats Park is a little bit of the same thing. It's fine. It's not yeah, terrible. But a little it, middle it, of the pack. Yeah, it's it's not it's not whatever. Now FedEx Field's probably even a little bit worse than that. Um, it's it's older and things like that. So they need more. Uh, we can talk more about Allegiant Stadium and and some of the other ones. But they'll eventually get a new one. It's needed. But right now, winning will cure a lot. You can put up with a lot of crap if your team is winning, <laughs> and for hopefully for Washington. They'll have a chance to do that. Um, we're going to keep winning, though, in the next hour. we got Mike Sando from The Athletic coming up at the top of the hour to talk about the NFC playoff race. That a lot more with Ben Sandick, Bricciaroli on 106.7 The Fan.
That is some great NFL music right there. Uh, I'm getting chastised a little bit for being a little too nice about uh, my, my, my view of FedEx Field. We'll come back to that a little bit later. But nobody's going to question our next guest and the, and, the, and the logic of bringing him on. He is uh, a guy who knows everything about the NFL. He is Mike Sando with The Athletic at Sando NFL on Twitter. Mike, I appreciate uh, your time. How, how are you? It's been it's always a busy time for you this time of year after another week. How are things going after this uh, NFL Sunday? You know, pretty good. It's been a wild NFL season, a little bit unpredictable. Some of the things we're used to being automatic haven't been, and it probably makes it a little more, uh, a little harder to figure out, but probably more fun to watch. Well, that segues in perfectly to what I wanted to ask you, and I assume you do this as well. The, the Athletic has weekly power rankings. Everybody kind of has some version of that, and I contribute with a 1-32 to 32 list. And at the beginning of the year, like I could, you know, there's some fun debates. You like this team more than that team. But in terms of the number of teams that belonged in the, say, top 10 or 15, like I was feeling pretty good about those teams. Right now, I'm getting to about the top three, four. And after that, you could tell me a team should be five. Or you could tell me that same team should be 15 and so on and so on. And as we look to the NFC, which is mostly what we want to talk to you about, it's hard for me to determine are there actually any good teams? Maybe Green Bay and Tampa in the NFC? I don't know. Do you love what do you think of the top of this league and the top of this conference in particular? Well, I, I think Green Bay is good. I, I think that Green Bay has a chance to go all the way. I mean, Arizona, uh, all they do is check the boxes every week of things you didn't think they were going to be able to do. Or uh, the, the concern for them is just really durability of the quarterback over the course of a full season. But I thought it was a great performance by them at Chicago. It's even though it's Bears, it was a cold game. It was rainy. It was windy. It was grass, and they just didn't miss a beat. They're really good on defense. Uh, I think they're really good on offense. They have a quarterback who's tough to defend. Uh, There's somebody you have to have in there. But Green Bay, I think when I did my power rankings today and filed those, I think I, I had Green Bay number one in the league. I, I, the reason I say that is because. Uh, not only do I think they're a good team, but they're one of the few teams that's adding potentially a number one corner in Jair Alexander, a number one left tackle in David Bakhtiari, and a number one pass rusher in Zedaria Smith down the stretch. Who gets to do that? I think it's a big deal. Talking to Mike Sando here, NFL insider for The Athletic. Mike, can you explain this Dallas team to me? Because early on in the season, they were playing great. They were explosive. And they just haven't really looked to be that team as of late. Now, I know Jerry Jones was asked about Dak Prescott. They say he's healthy. I'm wondering if you've seen some kind of change here for this team. Is it injury-related? Is Prescott maybe um, still dealing with some physical stuff? Because they look like a much more beatable team than at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I I don't see anything. I've watched a lot of Prescott. I I think he's been good. He's been pretty consistent. Uh, He missed a throw here or there, but I think he's one of the top quarterbacks in the league, and I would also expect the results to be better. Clearly, they haven't been the same with their wide receivers in another lineup. They're one of the few teams that has two number one receivers, true number one receivers. And so they played played a game without both of them. They've had one, or there's been some – I think a little bit of disruption there. They've played some teams that uh, can make it difficult for you defensively. New Orleans has been that type of team. Denver has been that type of team. Even Kansas City lately has been a team that defensively has been problematic. So I'm not panicking on them, but 
I'm watching these last games too, thinking, huh, the vital signs seem like they should be good. I can't find a reason why they should be bad, but they're not as good as I think they should be. <laughs> that makes any sense. <laughs> Sounds like the NFL season in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah it does. Absolutely. So Dallas is one of the five teams in the NFC with at least eight wins, including the Rams, who are the top wild card team. And then there's like a dozen teams, starting with Washington and San Francisco at six and six, who were within two games of, of one another. We'll get to Washington in a second, but you can pick them or if you want. But is there one of these teams that you think has the potential if they can get hot down this stretch here, the last four or five games could be the team that maybe, you know, becomes the uh, the Cinderella story? in these playoffs that maybe upsets one of these top five teams? Well, if you're, if you're putting Dallas outside of the top five group, I mean, I think they're sort of a team that should, that could uh, get it going at the right time and could be difficult for them. As you look at the, the rest of those teams that are sort of on the outside looking in, in the NFC, you don't see teams like that. You would have said a few weeks ago, Seattle could be that type of team, but they've fallen too far. They're, they're not going um, good enough offensively, but look at the teams outside in the, in the NFC looking in Philly. I mean, we sort of know what they are. I think they're fine, but I don't think they're going to make a big push. Minnesota, uh, Carolina, of course not. Atlanta, New Orleans, Giants, Chicago, Seattle. Who's rising up from that? I mean, I think that's what's so great about what Washington's been able to do, just sort of hang in there. And now, you know, putting together a winning streak, probably going to make the playoffs. I mean, you got a really good chance. Mike, when you look at the Washington football team, nobody probably saw this coming, right? The four wins in a row. When you look at Taylor Heineke, uh, can he do enough at this point in time in your mind to kind of solidify himself as the guy for Washington at least next year? Or do you feel like no matter what, this is a franchise, this is a team that needs a star quarterback as soon as next year? I don't think he's good enough or going to show to be good enough for them to stop looking. Now, how hard have they been looking, right? They've got Ryan Fitzpatrick <laughs> to go into this year. That's not exactly solving your quarterback situation for the future. I think they have to be aggressively looking. And in the meantime, maybe you make the playoffs, maybe you win a playoff game. But ideally, you would find somebody that you think you're going to hit your wagon to and can be uh, better than him, better than you think he can be. Uh, I think what's going to be interesting in the meantime is – does he have enough success to sort of capture the hearts of the team and, and make that harder to do, right? Especially in an off season when what are your real options going to be? You're not drafting high enough. There's not a, an amazing prospect in the draft you're going to get. Is there a veteran that you feel is going to be appreciably better? You're not going to sign the next Fitzpatrick to replace Heineke, right? Because you'd probably rather have a Heineke uh, than him. Are you going to be in the mix if both Rogerses and – and uh, Wilsons are available. I suppose everybody should be, but it's always a position that's hard to uh, can be hard to upgrade from. And look at the lessons learned this year. Carolina didn't want to be sort of in the middle on average, so they got rid of Teddy Bridgewater. Well, now they're way worse, <laughs> and they don't. Have, they'd be better with Bridgewater now. So that's kind of what the trade-offs you're looking at. And you have a defensive head coach who wants to win the game a certain way. Um, he doesn't want to be in that Darnold world that Matt rules in. Yeah, no, uh, you're, it, it's a great point, and, and it, it's one Washington's going to have to contemplate. Mike, here's what I'll, I'll sort of leave you on this. I'm curious what you think about whether Russell Wilson's situation is going to be like in Seattle because he's a guy that could be 
available hypothetically. But here's the deal. If I said to you, quarterbacks Washington might target this offseason, maybe. Matt Ryan, Derek Carr, Russell Wilson. What's the one thing they all have in common? Taylor Heineke beat them all this year. Now, that's an anecdotal huh. thing. That's not like a – that doesn't mean they shouldn't go get one of those guys. But, like, at some point, right, he's going to have to – his his resume is going to have to stand up for itself, and he's beating these teams with these other pretty good quarterbacks. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, you're winning 17-15. to 15, So, you know, if you look at all the games in the league where somebody scores under 17 points, it's a 90% win no matter who's starting the games. And that's not to take anything away. But it's a hard way. Look, look, look at Miami right now. they got a five-game winning streak. The opponents never scored over 17. So what do they have? Are you going to evaluate two off of that and say, wow, this is a winning quarterback? Well, he is if you don't, if the other team doesn't score. So what happens when you get into games where inevitably um, – you're going to need more from that. And I think Carr is intriguing to me. I don't know that he would be available, but but Carr is intriguing to me because he has been the least supported quarterback, I believe. I did a piece a few weeks ago looking at all the starting quarterbacks. There was 41 of them over the last decade who had started enough games. And all I did was look at how much how good their own defense and special teams were combined. And I believe Carr has had the worst defense special teams combination on the Raiders of uh, worse than any quarterback has had in the last 10 years. And that's why they haven't been able to win more games. If you give Carr a lot of games where the other team scores 15 points, I mean, you're going to win a ton. And I think they've even shown when they get it into that window that's a little bit harder to win, I think he's more of a track record proven to be able to win some of those. So I'd be all over that if I were a team like Washington and he were available. Yeah. Well, great stuff, Mike. Thanks so much. Check out Mike Sando works for the athletic along with Ben and I, you can read all of his NFL stuff. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. And uh, speaking of Fitzpatrick, we're going to get in, get in him a little bit next segment. Ben, you had a little news this morning on Twitter. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, how important, non-important he is to, the Washington football team now moving forward. Um, going to get into some Wizards, too. 745, going to talk a little Wizards in advance of Josh Robbins coming on. Talk a little bit more about what's going on with them, their recent slide. So stick with us here till 9. Richard Rolly, Ben Standing, the Killer Bees, overtime on 106.7. I don't think he's good enough or going to show to be good enough for them to stop looking. Now, how hard have they been looking, right? They've got Ryan Fitzpatrick <laughs> to go into this year. That's not exactly solving your quarterback situation for the future. I think they have to be aggressively looking. And in the meantime, maybe you make the playoffs. Maybe you win a playoff game. But ideally, you would find somebody that you think you're going to hit your wagon to and can be uh, better than him. Welcome back. Overtime, Brit Ben Standing. That was our colleague at The Athletic, Mike Sando, 
talking about Taylor Heineke, Ben, and whether or not he should be the guy after we've seen some good games and, frankly, some mediocre games, most notably, of course, this last game in Las Vegas. Um, It's interesting to me because I know they were talking about this on Grant and Danny. I think, can he do enough to make you feel comfortable uh, being the guy going forward? Like I asked Sando, and and a caller earlier today said, well, he basically would have to win the NFC championship for me to feel comfortable. Which, by the way, is insane. Um, On many levels, not just that all of a sudden you're ready to anoint Heineke, the starting quarterback, forever, but also, yes, insane on many levels. I don't think he can do enough. I think even when they win these games, like Sando said, it's nothing to kind of thump your chest at because you're scoring 17 points in a league that's offense first. I understand how they're winning these games. I understand this playbook, but this playbook is going to kind of like strike midnight, right? Like you're, you're going to kind of see the, the, the bloom come off this rose at some point in time when you don't have that guy, when you don't have that quarterback. But he wasn't even supposed to be their quarterback. Their quarterback was supposed to be Ryan Fitzpatrick. You tweeted this morning, he had arthroscopic hip surgery which was expected, but again, just another, I don't want to say dagger because it was Ryan Fitzpatrick. It wasn't like they went out and they traded for Matt Stafford. Right. Um, but, you know, just an ominous start. So, so this is the thing with Taylor Heineken, why it is such a fascinating deal. If you just look at him on the surface, you're like, well, you know, kind of underwhelming. I keep saying he was living dangerously in the Raiders game and the Raiders ultimately did not make him pay. And he, you know, he, you know the thing about this guy is no matter how big the stakes are, he does not wilt. He, he, he stands up there. He's not the guy who's going to, you know, uh, get weak in the knees when the pressure hits. And he delivered yet again a, a comeback there. But here's the other way to consider this is, like, I did a story. Well, I, I did this on my podcast at the beginning of the year before the season started. Who are the 10 most indis- indispensable players on the Washington football team, which is different than best. Best is just basically saying talent. This is a combination of talent. But also, what if this player were to get hurt? Or or, or, ha- or what, how is this player's role within the team it's very important that you can't take this person out, whatever. Ryan Fitzpatrick as the starting quarterback for this team, I listed number two. Oopsie. Seemed like a reasonable move considering that, one, he's, you know, was the best option they could get. He's a guy who's played pretty well. He's playing the best football of his career lately. And his backups were two guys in Taylor Heineken and Kyle Allen who have NFL experience, but, you know, you're not looking at them as a 16-week or now a 17-week starter. Well, now, I, re, I redid this list. I re-examined it, and I updated it. That'll be on The Athletic tomorrow. You can check that out. Please do. Uh, but you look at it, you go, you know what? I don't know if they would be any better if they had had Ryan Fitzpatrick. Obviously, we will never know, and maybe there's not the same ups and downs, although Ryan Fitzpatrick is basically a quarterback known for his ups and downs. But that's what's so interesting about Heineke. He's exceeded expectations. He always exceeds expectations, except when we just don't want to have him do that anymore. When we determine, nah, this is kind of the end of the road. He's only going to get so high. To be clear, I'm with you and Sando, I think, or at least with Sando. I won't put words in your mouth. They probably have to keep looking. But at the same time, who projected that they would be 6-6 six and six with him or that they would have just won four in a row? It's He keeps exceeding expectations, and I'm not going to discount that, even though he doesn't give you exactly everything you want. Right. I, I like the indispensable list. Um, so basically you're saying that you're kind of a grim reaper though, because you said they couldn't lose Fitzpatrick. They lost Fitzpatrick and then they won four in a row. Oh, even worse. The number one on my list was a combination of Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Because if you were going to say that the defense was going to be as good as people said, which I said all along was a bit overrated, 
But if you were going to say this team was going to be 10 wins, 11 win team, it would be off the defense. And therefore, likely those two guys would have to be the way to step up. Obviously, that was uh, incorrect as well to a degree. But look, I I explain, I, I, I take myself out back, but simultaneously explain, you know, justify a few things here and there. So, you know, you can read. So basically, this indispensable list is dispensable. Ah, I like to think it's pretty valuable. You know, I put in the blood, sweat, and tears. I'm going to go with. Is kind of important kind of thing, but you know that that's that, that's just me. Uh, I love putting Ben on the hot seat, so let's <laughs> stay there. Ben, would you spend a hundred dollars on standing room only tickets, which is some of the prices that I've seen? Also, I haven't seen tickets cheaper than like three hundred dollars on the internet for this game. And we've talked about we've talked about the attendance. We've talked about are people going to be there? Now I know you get in for free. You get to eat your hot dogs and your super pricey nice I- spread. You get to sit in your cushy chair as part of the media. But would you spend that money? Would you spend that money first off on the standing room only? Because I won't even pay standing room only at a concert. I, I'm going to see something. Maybe it's because I'm in my mid 30s now and everything hurts. I want a seat. And I'm definitely not going to go spend 75, 100 bucks on parking, stand, and the standing room only, I think, is like high up in the end zones. It's not even a good like standing room spot. So I'm going to go, I'm going to stand there. I'm going to drink beer. I'm going to have some food. All of a sudden, my $100 ticket is now a $300 experience, and I don't even get to sit down the entire time. I love that you've talked about being old in your 30s. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to want to put a finger up right now in your direction, but I'll be nice about it. Um, I, there's no way I would do that. Here's what's really happening here. Nobody wants to sort of note this. These prices seem insane from the perspective of a Washington football fan. One, the team is doing better. But let's not get overly crazy. This is a regular season game. It is a big game. It may be the biggest game, as David Aldridge wrote on The Athletic today, the biggest game in years here for what it represents. But these ticket prices are about getting the suckers who are the Dallas Cowboy fans because they only have one opportunity a year here if you live here to see your team. And that does change the equation slightly, right? If you were, you know, you're you're a a Michigan State person. I don't know who your pro teams were. You're You're a Boston Bruins person, I know. If hypothetically that team was here, maybe you're going to pay a little bit more to go see your team. This is about the Dallas Cowboy market, and that's the thing, right? This market, there is a lot of Cowboy fans. Those people will pay. But in general, no chance I'm paying $100 for standing room only tickets for any game. If you're telling me it's game seven of some playoff series, something like that, all right, maybe. Or my team is like, you know, it's like when back in college basketball, like when Maryland and Duke were battling for number one. I don't know. Maybe. But beyond that, get out of here. In this era, with all the amenities people have at home, the ability to watch there, I'm going with a seat or I'm not going. So shouldn't the team do more maybe to market these seats? Not just the da- not just Dallas week, though certainly it will be embarrassing if they go to FedEx Field, they go to the big shot and there's nobody there and everyone that's there is wearing cowboy stuff, right? Certainly that would be embarrassing. But the Monday night football game, the attendance, embarrassing. So shouldn't the team maybe try to do something to market this better. I know they lower ticket prices. I thought David Aldridge and his column had a great point about they are making $250 million in TV revenue before they sell any tickets. Shouldn't they try to do something to ensure that Washington fans are going to these games? Well, I think they're trying. I think they're being unsuccessful right now, in part because of the last 20 years of Drek going on around here. And again, like, it's going to take a minute. Look, they did win the division last year. I know they only had a 7-9 record, 
they did win the division, right? So there should have been going into this year. Plus, you had a, a lot of young players. There were expectations and hype. And I meant I may have mentioned this before, but there. Were, well, actually, I won't mention this because I don't want to say it on the radio. But say it. Nah, I'm not gonna. But there, there was anecdotal reasons say that suggested it. early on that there weren't going to be fans in the crowd and get in the stands this year. And guess what? There haven't been. Even right off the bat, forget they started two and six. I'm just talking game one. Uh, they, 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 it was a you know half empty stadium, so it's going to take a minute for people to buy back in who were once the diehards. We're definitely not there yet. Although I am curious to see what is the situation this week. Is it going to be just overloaded with Dallas fans? Will there be more Washington fans that show up normally? I will say out in Vegas, there were a lot of football team fans, and they were very excited. Now I think they were probably on a Vegas high. And they were excited to go to that stadium as opposed to the one here that not everybody's a big fan of. Um, so we'll see. I think they're trying. Jason Wright and his group over there are trying to do what they can. I just think they're up at a. They've got a lot of obstacles to overcome. They're not going to just do it um, because of a four game winning streak. Yeah, I mean, listen, I agree with you. I think it takes a while. You can't just neglect people for twenty years and then turn the light on and expect them to come flooding in, right? People have other games they have other things they could spend their money on gotta so catch I, up on succession there's things happening i have there. not seen that yet but yeah i've been catching up on yellowstone uh I, that that's on my to-do list i'm not there yet okay i'd highly recommend yellowstone uh i agree listen why we were talking about heineke earlier and uh we got will from springfield that says that the problem of the offense isn't him it's scott turner which i'm curious about because i think turner is probably over playing his hand here a little bit will are you there you got a ben standing britcheroli on overtime what's up how you doing, guys? I, I appreciate. Thank, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I really love to listen to the show. It, it, it takes me home at night, and 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 I really appreciate that. Um, my question is this: uh, Everybody wants to compare Heineke to Jeff Garcia. Well, Jeff Garcia had some of the best coaching uh, in San Francisco. We have Scott Turner. Scott Turner is about as mediocre as his dad. I'm sorry to say. In, in, in Washington, um, what, what, it doesn't matter what quarterback you bring, you bring to Washington. He, he's not gonna he's not gonna be he's not gonna he's not gonna come up to his full potential with the coaching that we have here. Wow. Um, if, wait, wait, you can pretty much. Uh, I, I, I really like to listen to what you guys got to say about that. Wait, Will, hold on one sec. Did you say he, Scott Turner was about as mediocre as his dad? Oh, okay. I think is, so. Is that what he said? I think so. Okay, so North Turner, obviously. Yes. Now, if you say North Turner to Washington fan, you're like, well, mediocre sounds about right. Yeah. But as an offensive coordinator, North Turner was one of the best ones out there. The reason he became the head coach here was he was the offensive coordinator for those Dallas teams with Troy Aikman and Emmett Smith. Uh, if Scott Turner is North Turner, good for Ron Rivera because that means you've got a really good offensive coordinator. Um, Scott Turner is only in his second year. I think he's developing. I actually think Scott Turner's done a pretty good job this year. They Same. have been missing a bunch of pieces. The offensive line's constantly missing pieces other than Terry McLaurin. They've had injuries. Logan Thomas has been out most of the year. Same with Curtis Samuel. And yet they've been able to turn the pick other random guys in there and turn them into pieces. I don't think Scott Turner has been the issue as far as I'm concerned. You could always quibble about certain things. I don't think that's the issue. I just think Heineke's look, he's also just a relatively inexperienced quarterback for an NFL player. This is an NFL quarterback. 
you know, he doesn't have, what's he at now, about a, a dozen starts or so? Right, 11, that's, I think. That's not a lot, right? right. So, yeah. you know, give him give him in on that front. I don't think Scott Turner is the issue, is what I would say. I don't at all. And I think they've actually, he's done a good job of, like, they've done a good job of winning games the only way this team can right now. They can't win games by all of a sudden him just becoming a gunslinger and unloading. That's not Heineke. Right. So they've won games by using the run game and then using Heineke when they need to. So I think Turner's done a good job of, play calling of keeping the offense like within itself in a time where they never expected to be in this situation. So I think yeah. they've kind of outplayed their hands. I, like, I mean, since the bye week when they had to revamp a few things and they had to look inward and say, okay, we're, we're, we're in a bus, bit of a rough patch. What do we do? They reshaped the plan. They've relied more on the running game with Antonio Gibson. And that has changed not just the offense. It's really changed the whole dynamic of the team. And to whatever degree Scott Turner had to say in that, I think you have to give, uh, give them a lot of credit. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Um, we got a little Dan Snyder talk, which is always a favorite here. We've got Matt from Reston on that wants to talk about how they can't control ticket prices. They can control ticket prices, I feel like. Matt, what's up? You're on with uh, Richard and Ben Standing. Hey, yeah, no, it's not. Uh, I had to laugh there. Yeah, it's not. They can control the ticket prices, and Dan Snyder is is going to be the driver, unfortunately, I think, for a lot of fans. I had I grew up with my grandfather and my dad having season tickets. I'm a lifelong fan. As long as Snyder owns the team, as long as they have this black cloud of the investigation hanging over them, as long as they keep, I think that they'll get a bump when they announce the new team name, they might get a bump in attendance. But as long as these other issues surround the team, they're not going to get uh, the uh, stand shaking fan experience that they want to get. It's it's just he's poisoned the well. They yeah. need to get rid of him. And unfortunately, as a business owner, he's making like you said earlier, he's making all that money before tickets are sold. Tickets are you know icing. They're they're the cream on top. They're not what really drives his bottom line. So he, I don't want to say he doesn't care. Uh, and he's not able to be embarrassed, but it's it's not it's not a driving factor for him from what evidence has shown. Right. Absolutely. Thanks for the call, Matt. And I I totally agree with you. I mean, Ben, if you had to do a shot for every time someone said Dan Snyder is poisoning this team, would you be in a hospital by now? Oh, I thought you were going to say would I be less or more sober than I was uh, Saturday night last oh, Vegas? Missed um, the opportunity there. Yeah. Total um, miss. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I always come back to this. You know, when, when people start getting too high, I always like, look, I hear you. It doesn't matter. No, I, I, I say this all the time, and I hate to do this. I want people to enjoy this four-game winning streak and this Dallas game. But ultimately, if you're going to pull me out to 30,000 feet, yeah, none of this matters ultimately on some real basic level until the ownership situation goes away. Again, hope, hopefully for Ron Rivera and the players, they can have a successful season, whatever, however you want to define that. Um, but – it doesn't change the fact that this cloud, as as uh, the caller just said, is going to exist. And you know, um, it's interesting. Uh, we can talk more about this on the, uh, on the next segment. But when you look at the timing for all the noise that was happening around this team over the last few weeks, it's gotten quieter as the team has started winning. I do wonder, on some level, is there a correlation between less talking for the that everybody has to deal with and more winning for the football team? We can talk about that and more. Eight o'clock. Josh Robbins talking Wizards. Here with Ben Standick, Britcheroli on 106.7 The Fan.
Who is this? Blink-182? Uh, this is outside of my wheelhouse. It's not on my iTunes. I think it's Blink-182. Can... No, it's not. It's it's the Killers. It's the Killers. Now I know. The intro threw me Ironically, off. the Killers are from Las Vegas, correct? Wow. Maybe that's not ben ironic. Maybe that's why Vegas it happens. I have no idea. State of mind. Oh. Welcome back, Killer Bees. Overtime. Richard Rowley here with Ben Standig. Ben is recovered from Vegas, ready to give us the 30,000-foot view on this team and not just talking about the 30,000 feet that he was up high on that Bellagio, living the Vegas lifestyle. I had that joke last segment, and then he rudely went to commercial break, so obviously I had to get that in in the next segment. But we've been talking pretty much all night about the football team because winners are four in a row. Big Dallas week coming up. Taking a lot of your calls. People wondering, what is Heineke's value? Is he the guy? Is he not the guy? Uh, we got Matthew in D.C. who wants to chime in now. So let's hear what Matthew has to say about all this. Matthew, what's up? Hey, uh, nice to talk to you two. And one of you is definitely a killer bee, right? Hardcore, great defense of the of Miami Dolphins. One of you is definitely a killer bee, and the other is named Ben. So, <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it. It was just funny, and it was there. I love it. Um, but I just wanted to point this out. So how to appreciate what Taylor Heineke is doing, right? How to evaluate him is to ask yourself this question. Not is he winning them games, but is he losing them games? One thing Joe Theismann said is he always reminded himself his job was to not lose the Redskins games. Taylor Heineke didn't cause those four losses. The two times when he's had games where he could have given them losses, the Giants and the Raiders, he was able to redeem himself with hard drives that got them uh, uh, field goals to win the game. And in addition, in games like the Tampa game and against uh, um, Carolina, he did hard drives that ate up clock, took the other team out of it. So I think Taylor's demonstrated that he has solid value as a starting quarterback who will not lose you games, at least so far. That's a good way to look at it. I, you know what? Thank you for bringing something this radio show doesn't have. Positivity and glass half full. We appreciate the call, Matthew. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I like I said, it, it, the Taylor Heineke experience is a really fascinating one. There's a lot of different ways to look at it. I totally get why people would be positive. I totally get why people would be skeptical. And each game, each half, each quarter, there's something there for everybody, whichever side you're on. And with five games to go in the regular season, I suspect we're not going to get a definitive answer one way or the other by the end. Uh, he Look, I, I come back down to this. So, Brett, I don't know if you ranked a quarterback. What are the things that are most important to you? Height, arm strength, ability to be in a commercial. I don't know what's important Where to you. Where he went to college, Michigan State. Well, that, that doesn't always work for people who were quarterbacks around here. Uh, I know. But one thing that matters to me, when the chips are down and it's you got to make a play at the end of the game, can your guy do it? And I'm telling you what, if we range quarterbacks based on that, I think Taylor Heineke might be top 10. He is unafraid, and he keeps making plays. This is, you know, whatever happened in this game, he drove them down the field to set up the field goal, just like he did in, in the Giants game in Carolina after Cam Newton ran it ran it into tie the score he drove them down twice to set up field goals yes it would be better to get touchdowns and all that but my point is he makes these plays and that is a huge step they can't fix some of the other things but there are some quarterbacks who have all the intangibles or sorry all the prototype size who can't have the intangibles that that guy has and that's why I think Ron Rivera um likes him plus the players absolutely buy in to what he's selling as a as a competitor, and there's not, there's something to be said for that too. Right in baseball, they call it a million dollar arm, a ten cent head, which 
kind of correlates in in the NFL too as well, right? Like a guy who's got all the talent in the world, a really great pitcher, really great arm, but does not have it upstairs. So you're right. I don't think anyone's questioning what's going on between the ears of Taylor Heineke. I, I don't. I think people know he's kind of has those intangibles. And then he does things, Ben, like that first drive Sunday where you're like, whoa, here we go now. Here, here goes this team, right? And then he does things like, basically nearly got intercepted and probably would have lost them the game. And we'd be talking a much different talk heading into this game this weekend if they had lost that game. So, you know, he's, he's got ups and downs. It's kind of like walking a, a tight wire. I mentioned earlier with him, it feels like, but you know, I do like the way Matt looked at that. Like he hasn't lost them games, which I think at the start of this, we would have all bet. And I think we said in earlier shows, eventually the fact that they have him as quarterback is going to come back to bite them. Now, it could still in these games remaining. They've got some tough games remaining. We've looked at their schedule. Um, it could, but to this point it hasn't, and that's to a big credit to Taylor Heineke. Uh, yeah, can you imagine if you had to go through your day-to-day life in which the next thing you did would determine if people thought you were a winner or a loser? Like in terms of like he throws the pick if the Raiders guy picks it off, the conversation is very different about Taylor Heineke right now. But instead, the pass is dropped. He, Heineke does a little bit more. They kick the field goal. By the way, the kid, um, wait, Brian Johnson, am I blanking his name? He, who, who literally, I, I only cover the team, uh, who's, and he's from Bethesda. Nobody knows his name. He makes his 48-yard field goal. Also, if he misses that kick, we're going to have a different conversation perhaps about Taylor Heineke. But it all comes down to that, how our perceptions are of these things based on very small moments in time that make huge lead to lead to huge thoughts and huge uh, proclamations that that is the world of sports I understand that but it is what makes it so fascinating I thought from watching at home that that kid was going to shank it I thought that they should have gone when they went when they went back out there just to see if somebody was going to jump off sides right I thought okay they're going to try to get a little more yardage because it's a little long for this kid I know he kicked really long in New Orleans but he didn't stick there their quarterback I mean their kicker came back and then all of a sudden he's on the Bears practice team again. And and meanwhile, Rivera finally reveals that, what, he's been on their radar for a while and they've been kind of like trying to get him. Mm, oh, exactly. Though it's, it's easy to kind of look at Ben. He's he's ready to call this well, out. Well, I mean, you know, look, I'm not going to say say Ron Rivera is kind of uh, a telling a fib, but they brought in zero kickers to compete with Dustin Hopkins at training camp, but they were apparently looking at this kid to come into training camp. So there was one human being on the planet that you were looking at other than that. No. So eh, I, I don't know. But, yeah, they were probably – Considering him over those last few weeks, I don't, I don't argue that the training camp part of it. Mm, I don't know, but uh, what you know, what do I know, Britt? What I do know is we're going to talk Wizards at eight with Josh Robbins. Uh, you wanted to talk a little Wizards before then, so I, here's my question: Do we keep doing it now and just run through whatever breaks we're supposed to go through, or do we take a break <laughs> and then come back? And we probably should ask our producer Ryan. I, don't I know. think he's going to get mad at us if so, we don't go to a break. Okay, so we should go to a break. All right, we'll go take a break. We'll come back. We'll, we'll start talking a little bit about the Wizards. They've been in a bit of a rough spell, and yet, sort of like Taylor Heineke, there are some questions, and yet bigger picture, it's not that bad. So let's get to it. Ben Standick, Bricciaroli, here on 106.7 The Fan.
All right, a little Bruno Mars. Bruno Mars was on the conversation. Uh, Bruno Mars was a part of the conversation because he's he's got a show in Vegas, except or not a show, but like a you know like a residency in Vegas. Except literally this weekend he wasn't there, but he was actually here in D.C. And there were people who were upset because they wanted to go see him, couldn't do it. Uh, but what you can do, Britt, is you can go see the Washington Wizards play games at Capital One Arena. I know they're playing uh, Saturday against the Utah Jazz. There's probably games before that. I, I didn't look Detroit this coming up. Sure, if I had prepared for the show, I probably would have noticed. But what I have noticed is the Wizards were super hot, talk of the talk of the NBA for a bit, and things have come back to earth a little bit. They've lost three in a row, six of ten, and you can look at that and say, well, of course, here they go again. The Wizards are going to go back to being sort of this mediocre team. On the other hand, they're 14 and 10 after 24 games, and I think anybody would have said before the season started, you absolutely would take that. Maybe not this exact path but you would have taken that. So it'll be interesting. We're going to talk to Josh Robbins and Josh Robbins, our wizards insider for the athletic at, at eight o'clock, but we want to talk a little bit about now. Uh, where are you at with this? Team? I missed the last couple of games because I was out in Vegas. How we, dare you? Uh, you know, priorities. Everything. Um, are, you, are you getting paid every time you mention Vegas? Uh, sort not of, a, sort of seems like it. Not no, enough. No, Ryan, not enough. Kind of, It kind of seems like it. Yeah, not enough. But anyway, you. This is why you're here. You, you're on top of things. What, 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 you've got thoughts on the Wizards? What, what do you think? In case anyone wasn't aware, Ben was just in Las Vegas. He's legally obligated to tell you guys this at least once every ten minutes. Well, um, then no, I, then I would tune in for eight oh two because I'll be saying it again. I would definitely tune in for eight oh two. No, I want to talk about the Wizards because we pumped them up. We talked about their best start in forty some odd years, and. I don't think it's panic time because they've lost three in a row, but the way they've lost these games, Ben, has been terrible. These haven't been like hard-fought, lose-at-the-buzzer kind of losses. These have been like straight-up blowouts. And so that's, I think, why Wizards fans are a little perplexed because this defense is regressing. It's moving backwards, and the offense isn't good enough to just blow out teams, right? They can't overcome when their defense isn't playing well. So I've heard like a lot of theories thrown out there. And people are now saying that like maybe Bradley Beal and Spencer Dinwiddie, um, even though they get along, don't seem to play well when they're on the court together at the same time, which isn't great. It's not great when your top three paid players are all struggling. I mean, that's not something that, that sets itself up well at all. But really, if you can kind of trace this back to when they went on the road. They went down to, I think it was New Orleans. And ever since then, they just haven't looked good. They're giving up points in the paint just nonstop at a ridiculous rate. And the Pistons are not very good, but it's kind of a gut check to me because they aren't very good. But if the Wizards are going to bring this like low energy, non-defensive kind of team that they've had over the last couple games, then the Pistons could turn the tables. They could scare them. They could beat them. And then you're sitting there and you're going, okay, what are we as a team? What are we doing here? And I think if you're a Wizards fan, you've seen a lot of heartbreak over the last few years. You've seen a team that just hasn't not even heartbreak, just hasn't really been relevant. And you got really excited. And now you're wondering, okay, is this the real Wizards team? Because they, I think they trailed by like 17 the other night, Ben. These are like straight up blowout losses, which as a fan, again, you know there's going to be rough patches. We talked about how they can't continue to play at this high clip when we talked about them a week or two ago. And that's fine, but it's the way they're losing these games that I think has people alarmed. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some weird ones. I mean, among the weird results, they haven't beaten San Antonio. Uh, you may not have been born yet by the time the last time they beat the Spurs. And this is the year to do it. The Spurs are just not, you know, they're not those Tim Duncan Spurs anymore. 
and the Wizards are you know been pretty good. They lose by 17 down there. You mentioned the Pelicans game. They lost uh, by 12 at Toronto, six to the Pacers. Things are off. They're not making shots. I think feels to me is like is a big issue. The three pointers, Bradley Beal, Davis Bertans, they need those guys to make shots. It's not happening right now, and I think that's just causing some flow issues. I guess on some level on both sides of the ball. We'll talk more to Josh Robbins at the top of the hour about what's going on with that. But yeah, something is off. I'm not hitting the panic button yet. It's still early, and they did obviously you know overachieve to a degree to start the year. But yeah, they've got to find their stride. I think a lot's going to come to Bradley Beal. He, I think on some level, probably still trying to figure out how he fits in. He's been the, everything has flowed through him the last two years, like literally everything. And now he has to maybe find his role a little bit more because you've got better pieces, but it doesn't seem like it's quite right for him yet. It doesn't feel like he's playing at the level that he was at uh, last year. And look, he's shooting under 30% from three. That's unfathomable to me considering how he entered the league, but he's going to have to solve this. And once he figures something out, then I think things will probably get a little more back on track. Yeah, and I'm curious to ask Josh uh, next segment because I've also, you know, people are now kind of questioning Wes Unsell Jr. and whether he's kind of created too complicated of an offensive scheme and whether he's using guys. <laughs> right, like, okay, two, the guy who went to Hopkins, he's a, a brilliant guy. He's a, from a basketball family, and we were just talking about how he's the perfect guy to run this team, so I don't want to be the person that as soon as they hit a rough skid is like, well, this was actually the problem here. Well, it wasn't the problem the first part of the season. So why is it a problem now? But I am curious if maybe they're doing something a little differently. I know they've got some players that are coming back, but you can't ever rely on that because guys are going from, you know, practice squad to all of a sudden being in five on five NBA action. Right. So I don't know if the answer is to like tweak the rotation a little bit, um, do something to give this team a little bit of a jolt. I'm really curious what Josh thinks because they just look like a totally different team these last couple games than they had earlier in the season. This is why we this is why we do the things we do. We book guests who can give us the answers. Josh Robbins covers the Wizards for the Athletic. He has been around the league a long time. He he'll give us the answers. We'll talk to Josh. We'll we'll take your calls next hour as well here on 1067 the Fan. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 